Thank you. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalms chapter 33. Psalms chapter 33, I'm going to read just two verses from there uh, in a moment. And I really did feel inspired to uh, minister a message this morning relative to uh, the holiday that we're celebrating. And I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, God's Blessing on the United States of America, Three Attributes that Make Our Country Great. Now, all of this is important. This is not just a a jingoistic, uh, patriotic exercise here today. But all of this is important because it has spiritual ramifications, very deep, real spiritual ramifications. What happened on July 4th, 1776? They've taken surveys and discovered that well over half of the children that are being educated in our public schools don't know what happened on that day. And there are a lot of adults that don't have any idea what happened on July 4th of 1776. That is when the birth certificate of our country was signed. That's how I read one person refer to the Declaration of Independence as the birth certificate of our country. That declaration, that birth certificate of our country was signed by 56 delegates. That's how large Congress was in those days. 56 delegates to the Second Continental Congress. July 2nd, two days before was actually the day when those delegates voted that we were going to declare our independence from Great Britain. And then between the second and the fourth, the document was written. It was edited and presented to the 56 delegates. Another vote was taken, and those 56 delegates signed on July 4th of 1776, the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. That day, that document being signed, culminated in the Revolutionary War that ended a little over five years later at the Battle of Yorktown in Virginia, where the British finally laid down their arms and surrendered. General Cornwallis, the uh, commander of the British forces, surrendered, and we took him and over 7,000 British troops uh, uh, as prisoners of war. It's a rough and bloody beginning. And it is a story of beginnings and birth. It is a story that has endured over the last 240 years. That's actually, I didn't think of it until uh, Craig Cannon said it last night, but this is actually... Uh, the 240th uh, anniversary of the second of the signing of the Declaration uh, of Independence. And over the course of those 240 years, uh, it's a history of what it has cost us to preserve the freedom that was declared on that day. 
Now, today's sermon is going to be a lesson in history, and I hope I can make it uh, compelling and interesting for you. But more than that, it is a testimony of God's grace and oversight of the beginning and the continuation of our country. Because there is a connection between nationhood and spirituality. Our founding fathers understood that. That in the forming of the nation, there has to be a spiritual component and and a spiritual content. In Old Testament Israel, the Old Testament nation of Israel, there were secular components. There was a, a civil government. There was a king who oversaw the function of the civil government. Uh, there were courts uh, and various other mechanisms there. But there was also a spiritual dimension that was overseen by God's Word and by the prophets. And we have that in our country. Not the same type of leaders, but we have both the secular and the spiritual components that have been melded together that make up what our nation is. And both of these things are not necessarily permanent. They can be undermined and they can be lost over time. If you and I here today in 2016 on July 3rd are not very careful to do what we can as members of the body of Christ, believers in Him, having been recipients of His saving grace. If we don't do what we are called to do, then everything around us that we appreciate and value and sometimes take for granted can be lost. And if not totally lost, it can be diminished incrementally over time, which is what I believe is happening right now in our country. America is very unique in the world, and its uniqueness has contributed to a dimension of blessing and prosperity that is unprecedented in world history, absolutely unprecedented. And the wealth of America, the blessing on America, is not only here within our borders, but that blessing has also extended to other parts of the world. The blessing on the United States of America, three attributes that make our country great. Let's read our text in Psalms 3311 as we prayerfully present this truth in the context of this message today for the purpose of glorifying God and bringing revelation to your heart. Psalms 3311, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much today for this church, for the liberty and freedom that we benefit from, Lord, that has been purchased for us by others. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together, and we're going to take time to give you glory for it today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, three attributes that make our country great. The first is the attribute of a spiritual foundation. It is very clear. You don't have to do very much study. A half an hour 
seals the deal and presents enough factual evidence to know that the United States of America was founded on Christian faith, Christian principle, ethic, and philosophy. Now, that does not mean that our country is perfect any more than the church of Jesus Christ is perfect because it is made up of people who are imperfect, people who can sin and make mistakes. But what is perfect is the foundation. That's what God has given us in the person of Jesus Christ, a perfect foundation upon which we can build our lives for Jesus and for eternity. This is true in our own spiritual life. It's also true in the context of our national structure. Our founding fathers installed a foundation that is a perfect foundation based on relationship with Christ, based on love, based on Christian ethic and justice. And what is true for the church of Jesus Christ can be true for the institution of nationhood. First Corinthians says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So there's a perfect foundation. You and I, our lives are built on that perfect foundation. doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We can sin, we can fail, we can be rude, we can be unforgiving, we can be unkind, we're not always generous, but the foundation is perfect, and what's above the foundation can always be corrected and fixed and adjusted. Some of you may have bought homes, and the home that you bought may have developed some problems in the construction can be fixed. As long as it's above the foundation, everything can be adjusted, everything can be fixed. It's a perfect foundation, and it gives us the opportunity to build something that is lasting. Our country and the founding of it is rooted in the placing of this foundation in our roots and in our origins. This was done by design. This was done by prayer. This was done by revelation. And this is what the document that we call the Declaration of Independence is all about. I want to challenge every one of you. I'm going to read a small portion of it, but I want to challenge you to read it for yourself. It is worth reading. It is worth celebrating the signing of it because you and I are here. Here today in this blessed nation because of these enlightened men who by revelation produced this document, signed their names to it, and installed it as part of the foundation of our country. We don't appreciate, most of us do not appreciate what the world would be like without this having happened. The world had been subjugated by tyranny, by cruel monarchy, and by dictatorship throughout its history. Our country was the very first based on these kinds of principles. And that is worth noting, it's worth celebrating, and it's worth thanking God for. No other document of its kind 
at any time in human history has ever been written and submitted as the foundation upon which a nation was going to be built. These are the opening words of the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So the Declaration of Independence invokes God. Man was determined and created by God to be free. We're now living under a tyranny, and they thought that instead of just open rebellion, we're going to state the causes, uh, that this is something uh, that emanates from our Christian ethic. Uh, and not only that, but they wrote out the 27 reasons. Uh, uh, it's part of the Declaration of Independence why uh, we were making a declaration. They went on to write, We hold these truths uh, to be self-evident that all men are created equal, uh, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, uh, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, that to secure these rights, uh, governments uh, are instituted uh, among men. Well, that had never happened before. This was their revelation, that government uh, should exist uh, for the purpose uh, of securing uh, liberty uh, and life and the pursuit of happiness uh, for people. And they went on to say governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Never happened. There were a few democracies, but those hadn't lasted. And then, as I said, they listed the 27 reasons why they were de we were declaring our independence and the drama and the consequence that that document, the signing of it, and the presenting of it to the British ambassador, the consequences that ensued from that must not be minimized. It was their Christian ethic. It was their morality that was driving this. The final paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, after they wrote what I just read, and then they listed the 27 reasons why they said these words. We, therefore, the representative of the United States of America, in general Congress, assemble together, appealing to the supreme judge, meaning God, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be now totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full powers to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all the other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, 
With a firm reliance on protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And that followed 56 men who signed that declaration, who immediately came under a death sentence by the British government for treason. They placed their names on the document. Now, some of you may be hearing a reading of this for the very first time in your life because it's no longer taught as it should be. We're no longer instructed about roots, history, and origins, at least not in an honest, righteous way. Now, there is certainly a move today, and this has to be mentioned in my point on the attribute of a spiritual foundation. There's a move today, a very powerful, secular, humanistic move to denounce our Christian heritage. You may have heard in school already. You may have heard from a teacher or a professor. You may have heard through some uh, arm of the media that the founders were mostly deists. That uh, is a person uh, who believes in God but rejects the deity of Christ. Uh, The founders were mostly deists, uh, atheists, uh, agnostics, uh, unbelievers, uh, uh, and secularists. This is what is actually uh, uh, being taught today. I was able to call a number of recent articles... uh, uh, one, uh, these are recent, within the last few years, uh, America's unchristian beginnings was one uh, article that circulated in newspapers. Uh, uh, another was the authors of the Declaration of Independence were enemies of Christ. And a book was written called The Godless Constitution. Now, where a lot of this stems from is the fact that two of the signers... Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, two of the more famous signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, were non-spiritual, non-believing, and non-Christian. They were. But, and rather, everyone cites them. You see? The Founding Fathers were not all believers. All this faith in God and Christianity in the Bill of Rights, in the Constitution, in the Declaration of Independence is nonsense because if you take the example of Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, they were, you know, they were, they were rank sinners, immoral, non-spiritual, and non-religious. Two of the 56 are described as such, but remember, those two also signed the Christian-centered, God-invoking documents. Of the other 54, you know, nobody talks about them. Let's talk about them a little bit. The other 54 original signers of the Declaration of Independence had quite a different ethic than Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. Twenty-nine of them were preachers. Wouldn't that be amazing if over half of our Congress was made up of preachers of the gospel? Twenty-nine of them had degrees from Christian seminary. John Witherspoon was at the time he was a member of the Continental Congress, uh, was one of the most well-known evangelists uh, of his era. He wrote these words, I entreat you in the most earnest manner to believe in Jesus Christ, for there is no salvation in any other. 
If you are not reconciled to God through Christ, if you are not clothed with the spotless robe of His righteousness, you must forever perish. Another was named Charles Thompson. He was actually a, a noted theologian of his day, and he translated what is known today as the Thompson translation of the Bible. It's not the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Uh, uh, this is a Thompson translation of the Bible, which is still available, uh, and you can acquire a copy of that uh, uh, Bible today. It took him 25 years uh, uh, to make that translation uh, uh, that he finally uh, uh, was able to produce, print, uh, and distribute. Uh, and he stated in one of his writings, I am a Christian. Uh, I believe only in the Scriptures uh, as the supreme authority of God uh, and in Jesus Christ uh, as my Savior. A number of, uh, uh, another of those 54 other uh, members of the Continental Congress was Benjamin Rush. Benjamin Rush was, a, uh, was an evangelical witnessing Christian. He started the first faith-based uh, prison ministry in the United States of America. He founded five Christian universities, three of which are still active today. He is the one who started the Sunday school movement in America, where there would be a uh, uh, another format or forum uh, for ministry in the church. There's preaching uh, and then the teaching of God's Word. Uh, and he initiated uh, a national Sunday school program. Uh, he had a vision to get every citizen uh, of the United States uh, to read the Bible. Uh, he devised a one-year reading plan uh, and recommended this. Uh, and he devised also a new way to print Bibles uh, where it could be done cheaper uh, and they could mass-produce Bibles uh, and distribute them. He wrote these words, nothing but the blood of Jesus will wash away my sins. I rely exclusively upon it. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Another was a man you would never have heard of any of these men that I'm talking about was Francis Hopkins. He was author of the first purely American hymn book. He put he actually uh, made a, a, a lifelong project uh, of taking the entire book of Psalms uh, and putting it to music uh, because he wanted to, and he wanted to teach uh, the members of the church uh, to sing the Psalms uh, like David would have uh, sang them. You would have heard of John Adams. He was another uh, of the founding fathers, our second president. He wrote these words. There no authority, civil or religious, and there can be no legitimate government but what is administered by the Holy Ghost. The principles upon which the fathers achieved independence are the principles of Christianity. John Adams was married to a woman named Abigail. Abigail was also a very passionate Christian. And they both have volumes of letters that are still around today that they wrote to each other because they spent so much time apart as a result of his government work and business. And her Christianity is all over her letters. And she had written to her husband about the fact that their adult son had been commissioned on an ambassadorship overseas by the United States government. And she wrote these words to her son. She said... And years later, uh, 
when uh, the northern army was about to go into battle. I can't remember which battle it was, uh, but uh, Abraham Lincoln ordered the entire army to read uh, George Washington's uh, farewell address. Uh, at the beginning of World War I, uh, uh, President Woodrow Wilson did the same. He wanted the United States military to read uh, George Washington's uh, farewell address. And in that address, he said, of all the habits uh, and dispositions which lead to political prosperity, uh, Religion and morality uh, are indispensable supports. Uh, no patriot uh, should ever labor to subvert uh, these great pillars. Now, the point of me saying all of this uh, is to underscore the fact uh, that this is what was in the minds uh, and in the hearts of uh, who founded our country. The American Revolution was not just a secular revolution. There was a spiritual dimension that in order to be free men and women, to be able to emulate the spirit of God's Word in our lives and live Christianity to the fullest, we could no longer live underneath this tyranny. And so they had put that into everything that was about our founding. And today, they say, well, uh, whether it was more. And certainly not up until the time our country was birthed is the longevity and the durability and the endurance of nations. Now, you may be aware of these facts. The United States of America is the longest ongoing constitutional government in the history of the world. 240 years doesn't sound like a long time when you take the whole history of the world, but men and peoples and societies have been unable to sustain the same rule of government throughout generations. Ours has endured. Why is that? That's a good question to ask. The same constitution, uh, the same form of government. Uh, we view France as a fairly enlightened, modern country. Uh, in the same period of time, 240 years uh, that we have been a nation, France has had 15 different governments. Uh, in the last 100 years, uh, Russia has had four. Uh, Poland has had seven. Uh, uh, and those numbers, I mean different types uh, uh, of government. Currently, there are 192 nations uh, uh, in the world under the United United Nations Charter of uh, violence, uh, one government uh, power and entity uh, is toppled by another, uh, and this has been the constant uh, history of the world uh, until the United States of America comes along, uh, because that uh, has 140 years later uh, still intact. Uh, this is unprecedented in the world, and we take it so much for granted that we don't deal with the turmoil and the chaos. The vast majority of the world has to deal with. So what's the reason for this? This is what I pondered when I thought about this. I think there are three reasons why the long-term longevity, national stability that we experience. The first is that we reverence our Constitution. We reverence our Constitution. The Constitution of the United States, the reference point that we are committed to adhering to, 
that still frames our laws today. Judges are required to use the Constitution as the reference point for all law today and civil rule today. The Constitution begins this way. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Constitution is not very long, only a few pages. It's made up of seven articles that uh, delineates the national frame of government. Uh, the Constitution of the United States came into being after the Revolutionary War was won, and then it took another seven years uh, uh, to finally craft it uh, and uh, sign it. It was signed into law in 1789. Since its original construct, uh, it has been amended uh, 27 different times in our Constitution. Uh, and, and if you read the Constitution, there are different websites you can go to uh, to find out what scriptures uh, inspired the particular articles uh, that the Founding Fathers wrote into uh, uh, the Constitution. Uh, but it, uh, it is all biblically oriented. All of the various articles uh, have uh, uh, biblical roots uh, and origins. The separation of powers uh, understands the sinfulness of man, uh, that you can't just have uh, uh, an executive individual uh, running the country. Uh, he might make a mistake. He might go corrupt. Uh, so you have to have Congress uh, that can oversee that. Uh, and then you have to have a judicial uh, that oversees because they understand the corrupt nature of human beings. Uh, and so there has to be checks and balances. Uh, and so into the Constitution was written uh, the separation uh, of powers. Uh, as you may well know, you may not know this, uh, but uh, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, uh, freedom of assembly, uh, those are all uh, written into the Constitution uh, and are protected uh, as our citizenry rights uh, to this very day. They are supposed to be upheld uh, in courts. God gave wisdom to construct a government that could endure. The second reason why we endure is that we have a heritage that we believe, not everybody believes this anymore, but we believe uh, tyrannical dictates over the colonies. Uh, if they wanted something in English, they had to get it from England. Couldn't print any. It's uh, uh, called, uh, uh, and it's written on uh, the uh, inside first page, uh, the Bible of the American Revolution, uh, printed by the Congress of the United States. In the congressional record, it says these words, the Bi this Bible, meaning the Bible of the American Revolution, this Bible is an edition of the Holy Scriptures for use in our schools. That Bible had a congressional endorsement printed on the first few pages that said that the United States Congress recommends this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States of America. So next time someone says there's no Christianity in our founding, you know better. This was what was in the hearts and minds of our founding fathers. It was actually over a hundred years before this. During the colonial period, cities and villages were forming, law was established, 
And it was in 1647 that the first public school law was passed in America. And it's referred to as the Old Deluder Satan Act. You can look it up, the Old Deluder Satan Act. And it was a law that stated that every school had to have a Bible and had to have Bible study. They referred to Satan as the old deluder. If we don't have Bibles available, if they're not used, if they're not taught, then truth and revelation is going to be deluded. And so they made a law, and for 320 years, uh, there was uh, uh, this uh, law that oversaw our public school system uh, until, of course, uh, 1963, uh, when the Bible and any mention of God was banned from our public schools. And today there is a major frontal assault underway against the very thing that gives our country a stability. Look what has happened since they took the Bible out of schools. Look at what's happened to our schools. You don't even want to send your kids there now. In a lot of cases, uh, you, you can't morally uh, put your child uh, in a public school uh, where our mission as the church of Jesus Christ, if our country and some institutions of it uh, will not uphold uh, the foundations uh, upon which the fathers, uh, they were blood-washed, born-again believers in Jesus Christ, uh, and wanted that to be woven into the fabric of what is our country, and that's why it has endured. The third reason why we endure, in one word, and that's the word freedom. Now, freedom has a secular and a spiritual application. People get addicted to freedom. You don't understand, many of you, how most people in the world live. Three-quarters of the world's population lives in third-world countries. The vast majority of the population of the world lives underneath dictatorships. Fifty-four of the uh, uh, countries in the world, uh, 54 of them are Muslim countries. You don't understand what it's like to live not having the freedom that you enjoy. Go get a job, go to the store, get in a car, drive, do whatever you want to do. People get addicted to freedom. We don't want our freedom taken away. We're not going to lay down lightly and just let somebody storm our beaches and take our freedom away from us. We're going to fight for it. That's why we have the most superior military armed forces that the world has ever seen and known because we have a lot to fight for. It is our freedom. It is our liberty. It has cost the lives of husbands and fathers and mothers and daughters and sons and brothers and sisters. Blood spilled. I've watched the tragic video at the funerals of military personnel who give their lives. The flag is handed to the spouse. The children are there. They're crying. But there's a recognition that freedom is worth preserving. And the reason our country has endured is because we believe that. Now, of course, secular freedom isn't everything. You can be secularly free. You can be a citizen of the United States of America living in freedom, but be bound by virtue of your sin. Secular freedom doesn't ensure happiness. 
Our country is ravaged with misery, addictions, sin, chaos, rebellion, betrayal. So, secular freedom doesn't produce happiness itself. That only comes through Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. And that's what we offer you here today, if you don't know him. John 8 says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's what really makes you free. Jesus answered and said to them in verse 34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Endurance comes because we value freedom, we protect freedom, we fight for freedom, we die for freedom, we guard freedom. We value it above all else. Now, let me talk about the attribute, the third attribute that makes our country great is the attribute of blessing. Blessed is the nation, or blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So, it's a good question to ask, what does that mean? Blessed is the nation, so it means that if if uh, it means that if uh, uh, God is the Lord of our nation, then blessing comes. What does that look like? What sets us apart uh, from some other nations of the world that don't, uh, that don't uh, have that blessing uh, because uh, uh, the God of their nation is not the Lord? What does that blessing look like? You know, the Word, and this is where they got... Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the Declaration of Independence, the word actually means happiness. That's one of the definitions. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord happiness. But it also means some other things. It's a word that means to make progress, to advance. I travel to countries that are living in the 15th century. If you didn't see telephone wires and a few vehicles around and saw how people live, you'd think you were uh, looking at the world the way it was a hundred or two or three hundred years ago. You think of how backward some people live in the world today. No running water, no, no electricity. America. Let me tell you what blessing looks like. America represents... The greatest run of prosperity, creativity, and invention that the world has ever seen. My father, who passed away in 2007, was born in 1916. He was born in 1916. So he was born, the car was invented, the plane was invented, but no commercialization of those things yet. He grew up in a house with outdoor plumbing, no electricity, all of that. And he drilled that into my head all along. <laughs> Walked to school, all that. He told me about his grandfather, who he knew uh, for a good part of his life. His grandfather was born in 1850. So that would be my great-grandfather. You're thinking, man, pastor's really old. Especially if you have a great-grandfather who's alive now. My great-grandfather was born in 1850. And my father said to me one time, he said, you know, Paul, 
my great-grandfather wouldn't have lived much different than Abraham lived. And that's just a, not that long ago. He died in 1946 at the age of 96. He fell off a horse, broke his hip, and died shortly thereafter. My great-grandfather my great did. The level of prosperity and the rapidity with which it has been achieved is unprecedented. America represents... 4.5% of the world's population, and we produce 25% of the world's output. 4.5% produces 25%. That's significant. By the 1830s, 54 years, only 54 years after the Declaration of Independence was signed, America had the highest per capita income in the world. You think about that. There are nations that are centuries old that had tradition and nationhood and patriotism and wars and in all those things going on. Within 54 years, our citizens were earning more than any other country in the world. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That blessing has produced Unfettered competition throughout our history that has produced in itself unfettered innovation. You, uh, I make something, uh, then someone else makes something like it that's a little better, and then someone else says, no, I'm going to one-up you. That's how innovation uh, and increase and blessing are produced. It's through uh, competition throughout our history uh, has produced incredible innovation, uh, methods of production, uh, meeting public needs, uh, and meeting the demands of people. Uh, we supply uh, a good portion uh, of food that goes all around the world. We are generally uh, the first responders uh, when it comes to national disaster uh, and crisis, uh, whether it's earthquake uh, in Haiti, uh, tsunami uh, in, uh, in Sri Lanka and uh, Thailand and other parts of the Middle East. Uh, it's the United States of America and the various independent charities uh, and Christian institutions uh, that by virtue uh, of default immediately respond to those things. After World War II, it did the most amazing thing, unprecedented in the history of the world. We went to our enemies. We occupied their countries, not for power's sake, but we occupied them to help them to rebuild their infrastructure, to provide them with food and liberty. We're fighting in foreign fields today for people that in some cases claim they don't even want us there, but we're trying to protect something. And the the advance of something that is very lethal and toxic and deadly. We are currently... The world's only lone, what is called, as you know, superpower. Most powerful nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. That's what the founding fathers envisioned. 
They didn't, didn't envision a tyranny, a dictatorship, uh, some tyrannical entity that was going to spread power uh, throughout the world. Uh, but they, were go- they envisioned a nation uh, that was going to be a good nation, uh, exhibiting the virtue of Christ, uh, helping and blessing uh, and, and serving other peoples, uh, not only our own, but those beyond our borders. Another important feature that is under threat today is that our government from its inception, is structured to encourage charitable donations. You give money to a church or to a charity or to a nonprofit, and that money can't be taxed by the government. And so this has caused the United States of America to be the most giving people on earth. Money to missions, uh, but they got to go through some convoluted method uh, because uh, everything that's sent out of the country gets hammered with about a 40% tax. Don't do that here. We can send money anywhere in the world at any time. We're going to be doing it on Tuesday when the banks are back open, uh, making deposits for Africa, for Guatemala, for uh, uh, Mexico, for China, all over the world. We're able to send money. We're free to do that. Uh, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, here's what I want to close with. The ble- everything I'm talking about, the blessing, the endurance, all of that, not a guarantee. We, I think there is more responsibility on the church than there ever has been before. What do you think is the most important institution in the United States of America? Some people might say, well, it's the police. And the courts and law enforcement, certainly that is important. Or someone might say it's education, our educational structures from kindergarten to universities. That institution, all of it collective, is the most important institution. Our government. That's the most important institution. We have to have a trusted with maintaining the components of our spiritual heritage. And as a matter of fact, we see both in elected officials and in appointed judiciaries that they're actually working against some of the spiritual heritage. They can't be trusted with this incredible heritage that we have, this incredibly valuable heritage that we are praying and fighting tooth and nail to protect and to, and to preserve. It is the church that has to stand in the gap, that has to pray, that has to be the fuel for righteousness and integrity and love and forgiveness in our culture and society. Those virtues are not going to flow, at least not solely, from any other single institution. Any institution can be corrupted, and we've seen that happen. A police department can be corrupted. A judiciary can be corrupted. An elected government official can be corrupted. That means that as a church, we must continue to evangelize. Last night, yesterday's effort was a celebration. We waved the flag, but it's all about evangelism. And finally, we need to be praying for our country. And I'll advance that a little bit in my message tonight. Our country needs a spiritual revival that can only come when God's people lay aside the pressures of life for short bursts of time to come together and pray. This was the appeal 
that God was making to the children of Israel when the temple was being dedicated under King Solomon. And I think this scripture is more relevant today even. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He's talking about nationhood there. God wanted that nation preserved as a witness and as a testimony to all the world. God's blessing on the United States of America. Three attributes that make our country great. I hope I have helped tonight, not just by educating you with some important facts, but by giving cause for some revelation to be established in our hearts because... I think our world is dependent on the church more than ever because other institutions may fail. And they are in the process of failing, but the church of Jesus Christ must never fail. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's a wonderful dimension of God's love and grace here today. Let me get right to the point service, which is, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you want to know him, you know there's sin in your life, let's lay aside all the celebration, the holiday, everything you may be doing tomorrow, etc., and talk about your soul, your sin, whether or not you have a relationship with Christ. That's the issue. All the blessings that I talked about, all the attributes that make our country great are the same attribute, attributes that work that can make you trials and difficulties and pressures and disappointments. And in the midst of all the things that happen to us in life, we can have happiness and joy and fulfillment and the peace of God can reign over us. So as our heads are bowed, you may be here and you need to make a decision. And the decision you need to make is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You haven't done that. You may have made an effort to be good. You may have attended a church service. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about acknowledging your sin. I am a sinner and I want to be done with my sin. I don't want to live the way I've been living. I'm ready to humble myself, acknowledge my sin, and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if you're ready to do that, I can help you. And the way I can help you is by praying for you. And in order to pray for you, I need you to do just one very simple thing. I'd like you, please, just to lift your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I do want to receive Christ. I know I need Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to live the way. It's, it's madness. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's making me so guilty. I want to be free and I want to know Christ. Would you lift your hand up right now? Amen. God bless you. I see that in the front row. You can put it down. Thank you very much. Anyone else? You'd lift your hand right up. High so that I can see it. God bless you. I see that. You can put it down. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Lift your hand. This is a perfect sermon to give your life to Christ. 
You recognize your sin. You know our country's a mess without Christ. You can have the best foundation, but you can get off that foundation. You can build on that foundation with shoddy materials and end up with something that's not going to last. When I say our country's a mess, I don't mean the foundation. I mean the current state of sick person, bitter, something's gone wrong. Whatever the reason, I'm not really interested in the reason. I'm only interested in the condition of your heart, which is you're backslidden. You're moving away from God, not closer to Him. And all you got to do is check your heart, your attitudes, how you think, how you talk, how you act, how you behave, how you love Jesus, you love His Word, you love prayer, you love gathering together with the saints. This is not a good time to be backslidden. Not in the world we're living in. Things are erupting, and I want you to look at me. Over here, you meant that? I believe you did. I believe you meant that. You mean that? You mean that? Would you come? We want to pray with you right now. Just slip out of your seat. I want you to come. Come on. God's going to help you. I need a sister to come and pray here. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. What's your name? Okay, God bless you. Have you ever given your life to Christ before? You stopped coming. Not a good decision, was it? Okay, this sister is going to pray with you. Amen. God bless you. What's your name? Maggie, have you ever given your life to Christ before? You haven't? You ready? Ready for God to change your life? Okay, she's going to pray with you. God bless you. Amen. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Gratitude. But more than as much as we are thankful and grateful, we've got to do something about what's happening in our country. And by doing something, I mean being saved, being radical on fire, prayer and Bible reading and church attendance. This is a time to put the pedal to the metal full speed ahead for Jesus. Our country is under a cultural, moral spiritual assault. We are the ones, the church, that holds that back. We can't depend on institutions so much anymore, courts and other things. Some, To some degree, they do right. They do. I'm not saying they don't ever. What I am saying is the church has a distinct role in nationhood. We have something to protect our foundation. We have something to preserve freedom. And a lot depends on us. A lot of what God does is going to depend on what you do. And we're committing ourselves to evangelism, to prayer, to full speed ahead for Christ. I want us all to stand. And why don't we just make an altar here at the front? God, I want to thank you, Lord. I have taken so much for granted. I realize hearing this sermon I've taken so much in my life for granted the freedom that comes and flows from you, Lord. From the fact that our foundation as a country was birthed in Christianity and biblical revelation. And we're not ashamed to stand up for that and to declare that. 
you would not be able, if, you, if, if we took you into a country that's run by a dictatorship where people have no freedom and there's no upward mobility, no way to really earn money, no entrepreneurship, you wouldn't be able to function. That's why we fight for what we have, because we don't want that. And again, ever. Subjugation and tyranny. Unreasonable political and cultural in wars. We need to be grateful for them, cognizant of their sacrifice and their ever risk they took. Because the alternative is not tolerable as a nation being subjugated. And we will be, over time, if we're not very careful. God, I thank you today so much. And Lord, I commit myself as a member of your church, as a believer, washed in the blood, to do everything I can to preserve the integrity of our country in righteousness, in freedom, and in liberty. Not only for all matters in my life, but for my country and for revival in our nation. Thank you, Jesus. God, I praise you. Lord, I love you. I rejoice, O oh God, in all of your goodness and riches of your mercy. God, change our hearts and our perspective here today. Let us never be ashamed of the testimony of our founding fathers and the certainty of it. And I pray anointing on every believer here. I pray your strength and grace and virtue. Let every life here feel stirred for prayer, evangelism, righteousness, integrity. I bind every spirit of half-heartedness, lukewarmness, and, and compromise, Lord. This is not a time for those things in our lives, in Jesus' name. God, I thank you, I praise you, I love you, I need you today, I exalt you above all else, Lord. Oh, yes. You know, every altar call is so unique. People are getting saved here at the altar for the very first time in their lives. Others are being reconciled to God after having been backslidden. Others are making a determination, no more compromise, no more half-heartedness. I'm going to straighten some things out of my life. I'm going to get my priorities in order. But whatever it is, make this altar call a permanent feature of moving on in your life. It's going to forever change you. God, I pray for that right now, Lord. Let your people be changed and transformed, better equipped and better prepared. for the world that we live in. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's all stand, can we? I want to come to the service for 6.30. The sermon is called Fight Back. You don't want to miss that. Uh, it's another inspiration. Um, I preached a sermon uh, a week and a half ago on...